The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, and can be found on page 1535 in your pew Bible. Matthew 22, 15 through 22. When the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him, and they went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Most of us have flipped a coin, yes? And if it's heads, we do this. Tails, we do that. I have to admit, sometimes I flipped it multiple times until I got the side that I needed to be able to do that. On one side of the coin that we have today has an image of a head on it, and on the other side of the coin is an image of something else. And this is true even back in the first century. So the coin that Jesus used in today's gospel had an image of Caesar on it. And Jesus used that image to teach a very important lesson. There are also other images in today's gospel. However, these images are not coins, but they are very important, and we'll point them out. It was the last Tuesday at the time that they are hearing 
this parable, or rather, excuse me, this teaching of, of Jesus. It was the last Tuesday before Jesus was to die on the cross. Jesus was teaching in the temple during the days leading up to the Passover. And the crowds were quite large. And he had been teaching parable after parable, using them to illustrate the many truths of heaven. And as we have been studying the parables over the last few weeks, we know that these parables expose the corruption and the hypocrisy among the religious leaders of the day. He was really damaging their reputation, and nobody likes that. He was exposing their hypocrisy, and they, nor you or I, like that. Rather than repent and amend their sinful ways, these religious leaders, these political leaders, these hearers of the word, decided that they had to take Jesus down. Now. He's bad for business. We know how desperate these leaders were because they teamed up with the Herodians. And the Herodians, to explain, were people who supported the Herod family. This is the same Herod family who ordered the death of the boys in Bethlehem, Bethlehem a year or two uh, after Jesus was born. And they are the ones that supported the son of this Herod who now ruled during the time of Jesus' crucifixion and death. They were supporters of him. So, one thing that often surprises people is this. The, the Herod and the Herodians were not Jewish, but were kept in power by the military might of the Roman governor, government. So naturally, they were big fans of the Roman occupation of Israel. And so were their followers, the Herodians. The Pharisees, on the other hand, hated the Roman occupation with a passion. They saw this occupation as an abomination that defiled their land. So the fact that these two groups, these two parties, could come together was a true sign of desperation. The Pharisees have put their heads together to figure out a way to trap Jesus. They have a plan that to them seems foolproof. It uses the Jewish laws and traditions as one jaw of the trap, and then the authority of Rome as the other jaw. They've got it all figured out. 
Their line of thinking goes like this. If he says, it is wrong to pay taxes to Caesar, the Herodians, excuse me, if he says that it is right to pay taxes to Caesar, he loses with the people who consider any submission to Roman authority as against the will of God. If he says it is wrong to pay taxes to Caesar, the Herodians go to their superiors and harsh Roman justice will get rid of Jesus for them. The Herodians and the Pharisees both had the wrong image of Jesus. To the Pharisees and the Herodians, Jesus is evil. He's a problem. He's bad for business. He is a threat to religious and political security. His popularity diminishes their popularity. They see Jesus as an obstacle, an obstacle to be removed. Now before we get ready to condemn the image of Jesus that the Herodians and the Pharisees had, we need to examine the image that we have of Jesus. Now, from birth, we too want to be the center of everything. We want to be the image that everyone looks at. We want to be the image that everyone serves. From birth, as we are born into sin, each and every one of us has an image of ourselves that is so important that it entirely blocks out our image of Jesus. And there was a time when we were the image of God. The very first chapter of the Bible tells us that God created man in his own image. Adam and Eve were the pinnacle of God's creation, and God described them as, with the words, very good. And as we know, it didn't take long for Adam and Eve to spoil that image. Instead of focusing on God, they allowed Satan to convince them to focus on themselves. They were not satisfied to be in the image of God. They wanted to actually be God's little G's. So they spoiled the image of God in themselves and they brought a curse on all creation. They were deceived by Satan. He offered Adam and Eve something that he couldn't give them. And worse than that, he offered them something that they already had. They had it all. And as God said, it was very good. Now since that time, all men, Cain, the Pharisees, and the Herodians, you 
and me have been born with our image of good and evil that have been turned up upside down. In short, our image of God is out of focus. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they sent their disciples in the hope that Jesus would not recognize them. In addition to that, these disciples presented an image of respect toward Jesus. But it was only that. It was an image. It was an image designed to disarm Jesus and to catch him off guard. And it didn't work. And Jesus turned the tables on them. Jesus understood something that they did not. And that is this, that God is in control of both civil authority and religious authority. The physical kingdoms of power and the spiritual kingdom of grace are not either or, but both and. In the Old Testament reading for today, Isaiah points out that Cyrus, the pagan king of Persia, in spite of all outward appearances, is God's instrument. The Lord is using him to work out history for the ultimate good of his people. And likewise, when Pilate boasts of his authority either to punish Jesus or to let him go, we hear in John 19, 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. We should all remember this when we see those in authority or we despair over those in authority or we despise those in authority or we perhaps really love those in authority. We should remember that God used Cyrus. God used Pharaoh. God uses even you and me for his good purpose. So when Jesus said, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, he was telling us and all government is God's instrument at work in physical world. None of this surprises God. He's got it all in control. And obeying the laws of the land and participating in our de democracy are a part of our obedience to God. We render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Everyone get their taxes in by last Thursday? That was the extension cutoff. Ask me how I know. The sad irony of today's gospel is that even though the Herodians and the Pharisees were awestruck by the elegance of Jesus' answer, 
They did not stick around to hear what else he had to say. They didn't stay to hear what else he had to say. All they did was leave him and go away. If they would have followed Jesus, they would have encountered yet another image. In Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And nowhere do we see that image more clearly than we look, than when we look at the cross. As we look at the Christ, as he hangs on the cross, our upside down, our out of focus, our God in our image way of thinking becomes the right side up and crystal clear. The world sees an image of a defeated rebel on that cross, a common criminal on the cross. They see it as a removal of a political enemy. It is in this apparent destruction, though, that the Son of God, the Son of Man, is glorified. It is in this act of selfless love that we are, that we see the true image of God. In the image of God nailed to the cross, it is the ultimate inversion of what we think is right and what we think reality is as we see it through our sin-distorted eyes. We are born of the flesh of Adam. We want to be like gods, little g-gods, that are deciding for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We are like the Pharisees and the Herodians and want to compartmentalize God. We would restrict him. We would restrict him to the religious and ban him from the secular parts of our lives. The condemnation we deserve, he has chosen to take in our place. And he takes it to the cross, his death for our life, his damnation for our salvation. Christ, him crucified, is the clearest image of the invisible God that we could have. The image that the world sees is defeat, in fact, is the victory of God. It is by this victory that we, those who believe, receive life, forgiveness of sin, salvation. It is by this victory that even though we die, we shall rise again. For Jesus himself, he did not remain in the grave, did he? But he became the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. His resurrection is the assurance that the image of our Savior on the cross is an image of victory. 
on the cross, it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, that is for us the image of invisible God. In that image, you see what the God of the universe has done to make you his very own. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 32, lets you know through Jesus, his nature, what God is like when he said this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. In the name of Jesus, amen.